Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me, and it is March Madness. This episode will be about Michigan at the Big Ten Tournament, what, what we saw from Indianapolis. And then in the second half of the show, we'll talk about what we expect to see in Indianapolis, but this time for the NCAA Tournament. Tons of stories. Uh, from this weekend over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Uh, had a nice time, boots on the ground for it. So lots of lots of takeaways, lots of thoughts. And then in the next couple days, it's a little tricky to do like the direct preview stuff because Michigan is Michigan's opponent is unknown actually for the first for the first round. And so uh, it might come a little bit once things get going on Thursday. Uh, and, and Friday as well, but there'll be some some looks at the overall region, along with some Michigan specific storylines as well. If you like this podcast or any of our podcasts, because we have uh, episodes devoted to football, episodes devoted to recruiting, Tim McCormick and Sam Webb do a weekly basketball podcast as well. You can subscribe. You can tell your friends about it. Throw us a rating, a review. Uh, definitely like the nice reviews. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we, we just love the audience. We, we really appreciate you guys following along. Uh, it's kind of looking at the, the growth we've had in the last year, which this is not the year you would think to, to kind of grow your sports media coverage. I mean, we went months without sports. And so just, uh, just a quick, quick appreciation, quick thank you to the listeners, to the people who provide questions when we do mailbags, um, people who, People who kind of encourage us, or, or I think a couple times in the summer, I, I it kind of slipped my mind, and they'd be like, "Are you guys doing one soon?" We we really look forward to it, and so then, um, you know, it's just been fun, been fun. Uh, I know Steve feels the same way. Uh, it's it's a nice, it's a nice one of my favorite content pieces to do during the week. You know, kind of get to assess the news. So anyway, with that said, we'll start with Michigan in the Big Ten tournament. Steve, they went one and one. They beat Maryland. They lost to Ohio State, but so much happened. This was my column and kind of takeaway from the weekend is I, for being in the Big Ten tournament for like 26 hours, I don't know if Michigan's ever had such a busy 26 hours. So they played the two games. They were down double digits in both games. They came back in both games. They had a season ending injury. Uh, Jawan Howard got ejected. Mike Smith set a record and then the next, you know, there were, there were some incredible shooting slumps. Um, I'm trying to make sure I got everything. Eli Brooks made a surprise return from injury. So it, it, the weekend was all over the place. If, if you could offer just kind of your quick summary of your impression of their performance, it's, it's, I know Michigan fans are kind of doing the old, like kind of writing, putting it on the back burner. It doesn't mean as much. Uh, they went one and one. They're not putting a ton of stock into it. Michigan's going to get a reset anyways, but very busy weekend. And I think it was a weekend, in my opinion, 
where Michigan came away maybe with more questions than answers, but your thoughts on, on the big 10 tournament. Uh, I mean, I'm not like surprised necessarily how it played out. You know, I had Mike Smith as my player to watch or however we phrased it. Well, we did player on the spot. So it was a yeah. player that had to step up in that sense, but and he, yes. he, he was their best player against Maryland and was the, you know, took the last shot against Ohio state, who was the non Illinois Iowa team I picked to potentially give Michigan problems because of Dwayne Washington's ability to hit anything and everything from deep. So in a lot of ways it played out exactly as I anticipated it would. I know you did not predict Jawan Howard would get ejected. No, not at all. Or Isaiah Liveris would suffer a seasoning. Of course not. And to be honest with you, I think the context of how the game against Ohio state played out, I actually come out of it maybe slightly encouraged Hmm. as far as what Michigan can do in the tournament. Because again, I mean, what they shoot 65% from three or something. I mean, again, I, I, I say this saying that I was worried about Ohio. If you're Michigan to be worried about Ohio state for that exact reason where Washington can just, just, I I don't, he's, I think he's going to be a really good professional player because I was that. just going to say he he looks like a pro. He does point, absolutely he? because of that because of that ability alone to where he takes and makes some crazy shots, some shots that look crazy from for other players, but he just he makes them. He makes them at a high rate anyway, but he seems to make them at an even higher rate when Michigan's playing Ohio State, you know, because he he just had his way again, but. Without the first taste of what Michigan will look like without Isaiah Livers, I thought overall the fight at the end, um, you know, I just – I still feel like Michigan – like I said, I still feel encouraged. I, I think maybe I felt better out, coming out of that game looking at Michigan given the fact that Livers isn't going to be around for a while, if at all, the rest of the ter- – for the however long they go through the tournament. I just uh, – I think Brandon John's confidence is growing. I loved the sequence in the first half where they fed him the ball three or four times in a row down the floor. I thought that was perfect. I think it was clearly by design. It was fruitful. He got to the line, what, four four trips in a row or three or four trips in a row? I think that was a clear confidence-building situation for yep. him. I think that was concerted a concerted effort, knowing that they're going to have to rely on him a lot more and to get his confidence going. So I, I loved that more than almost anything that happened in the game, because he is definitely someone now who's going to play an important role for them. So yeah, overall I was, I was, again, you want to win that game. If you're Michigan, I, I, I just, I just think Illinois is a bad matchup for Michigan. I, I could not have seen Michigan. No. Yeah. winning Or, or on top of that, I don't know if they'd have played them as closely as Ohio state ended up playing them either. Right. I just, I just feel like Illinois is not a good matchup too deep uh, at the guard positions. Um, not enough guys that can cover Curbelo, Dasunmu, and um, Frazier, right? Yeah. And you got Coburn yeah. down low, who gave Dickinson more problems physically than anybody, which is not a surprise because he's just physically the, the best center probably in the country. So um, they just feel – I mean, Illinois is a bad matchup for almost anybody, but they, I think for Michigan specifically, they're – of any team in the conference, they're probably the worst matchup. So, yeah, I mean, so now it's uh, tournament time. I don't. We, we're going to talk about – the ejection at all or well i don't know i don't know if i have a ton to say about it i mean 
obviously he can't do that. That's why he was ejected. I mean, so, so, but you know, knowing covering Jawan the past two years, he is not a, um, I don't expect that to become a, a thing Michigan has to worry about. Uh, I think that was, um, and he, he even said after the game, he said that's that, th- that didn't feel like me. He lost himself for a moment. So I don't particularly have a like grandiose lasting takeaway from it. Um, you know, I do think, I do think it is something that like he has to learn from. It doesn't, you know, if you, if he gets ejected in a postseason game, and it's not Maryland, for example, say it's, well, we'll talk about this in a moment, but like say it's like Florida State or Texas. I mean, the, suddenly that game can completely change. Um, and, and you know, this is already a team, I'll transition back to the rest of the stuff, but it's already a team that's going to be a little shorthanded on, on on-court leaders. And so I guess that's my only takeaway is like, well, he, he doesn't do it very often. Um if ever, I think he's had what three techs all year. Uh, and, and I feel like they were all two of the three were like justified, you know, getting one after that Brad Davidson's elbow to Mike Smith's head, you know, like that's the right, I'd argue that's a, that's a good tech. Um, so I don't know. I don't have much. I don't know if you had anything to say on it. I don't really care about the whole, what did he say? Will there be replica? You know, I don't really care. Clearly, the Big Ten clearly did not think that there was enough to suspend. I don't know if that was even discussed, um, suspend him or anything like that. I don't know. I obviously there's some. It's weird, like just these all these teams want to be like rivals with Michigan. I, it's like I don't know what it is about what's going what's going on in Ann Arbor that's pissing everybody off. But um, between Illinois. And Maryland, you know, you got two more teams on the conference that it just feels like Michigan is going to be their number one, like the team that they're going to get up for the most, you know, going forward. It was clear his reaction. This is something that had to have been boiling from the last two, last two. Yeah. On both ends from the last two games that they played, you know, and like, I, I don't know. I was like, Morcell seemed to really want to stir it up. And, and I know he got injured in the first game, but if I recall, that was a completely incidental play by Wagner, right? Wasn't it just going up for a rebound and he elbowed him? It wasn't like a. Uh, yes, I don't think. I mean, if it had been intentional, he would have been suspended. Right. Um, I mean, it was. I don't think that was even a discussion. But I do think there. It was a game where I, I, if I remember correctly, I think Maryland. Was it already chippy? It was already chippy because of the Dickens yeah, stuff, right? Right. Right. Well, and and yeah, and I know our um our Maryland site has pointed out like i mean dickinson he probably took it too far I, you know he's a freshman i don't really care i personally i love smack talk i've always felt sportsmanship's a little overrated but um i think you could say dickinson in terms of like i can see where maryland is really mad about this um, why they didn't recruit him yes they like- did yes they okay so the washington post did a full investigative story on it okay all right then all right no let's not we don't have to we don't need to go into it but it makes way more it it, it makes way more sense that way then because they don't have anybody on their roster right now that's over like six eight six nine right and the whole time they're saying on the telecast that maryland didn't really recruit him that hard i'm like how the hell would they not recruit him? well so so that's that's part of the controversy is is dickinson said that 
and played like someone who didn't get recruited. Right. If I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not trying to like start a, a thing. I just don't think Dickinson liked Turgeon. Sure. And I, and that happens. And on the, I mean, it happens with uh, Michigan, you know, there'll be a guy that you think is like from the backyard and they just don't click with the coaches. So I guess, I guess we'll find it. We can go read the Washington post story, but they did a, a full story and their, their conclusion based on talking to the Matha coaches, Maryland coaches was that Dickinson was indeed recruited. Anyway, he had uh, that, 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 <laughs> that actually makes me feel better because I just, I, it made no sense for Maryland given the out, given the, what their roster looks like on paper this season that yeah. he'd have been a perfect fit for them, you know, much like he was for Michigan. But for, if there was almost, you can almost say of any other team in the conference that he'd have been a better fit for them than almost anybody, them and probably what, like state maybe, I, I don't know. So, yeah, um, well, I, I will say, I mean, you know, there'll be a story about this probably later this week that I'm kind of working on. Dickinson and Jawan Howard are a perfect fit. Right. I, I know I know exactly what you're saying. Like which team has used seven foot centers and doesn't have one this year? The answers are well, it's really Maryland. Michigan State, they've never been like the seven footer type True. of team. Um, but I agree with you. <laughs> Maryland really could use him. Uh I don't know. We spent too much time talking about it. the fact oh, is I agree. It was interesting. It was interesting though. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's if Dickinson returns next season, it's it's something we're going to be talking about again if these when these two teams play, I assume. So, yeah. Well, and, and you bring up a good point with the the other teams. I think Michigan is the most hated team in the Big Ten right now. You know, I and because Illinois and Maryland had kind of like the social media swelling, but I've noticed Iowa. I've noticed well, obviously Michigan State and Ohio State. Um, you know, I I really think you could run through the list. And it, and it really makes me wonder because we haven't been able to sit like by the court to like hear how things go during games. I said, Juwan Howard's a very calm coach and, and kind of mild mannered. He does talk a lot and he is not afraid to talk to players. I think, I don't know if that's a, a personality thing or, or an, or, you know, NBA opponents talk to each other all the time. So maybe it's not as big of a deal, but I, I have noticed you know, he'll, he'll talk to players on the opposing team during timeouts, things like that. So I don't, I don't know. This is not me saying, I think so, but, but I have noticed what you've noticed where Michigan is starting to be hated and not just because they're the best team. I, I, it feels like, I don't know if it's, if it's Dickinson, because Dickinson is like the ultimate evil villain, dominant center. Every good big 10 team seem seemingly has, like the evil, like the center that everyone hates. Uh, you know, Michigan's actually had a, had a couple uh, in, in recent years. And, and so I've noticed what you've noticed, though. It, it back and who's, who's gone. But, uh, you know, same with Illinois. I think they'll have some roster turnover as well. Sure. But, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how these tensions develop. And, and also, I mean, Jawan Howard, he is only what 50 games into his career, maybe right. 60. Uh, so I don't know. He, in my opinion, he lost his cool. He knew he lost his cool. He apologized after the game. Unless more comes out of the story. I don't have much more to say about it. 
Yeah, that was worth talking about, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like people, like when Michigan wins, like I'm gonna try. I'm. I'm. This is the one percent message board purse poster in me. Just feels like when Michigan's winning, like people get pissed. When they're losing, they're the first team that people want to crap on. You know, that's happens I, in football too. That's what I'm saying, though. Is like in football, everyone, you know, people, so many random fan bases seem to just thrive and love when Michigan is down or when they get beat or when they're losing, you know. And I also kind of wonder if the social media stuff from the fan side of things, because that's what I mean, is like social media for Michigan fans has mostly been a negative experience because it's always the football team <laughs> like letting everybody down and, and when they when they need it most. So when they're winning, I think Michigan fans are crowing hard, harder, louder, and more than they ever have before. You know, and I think it's I think it angers because the other other teams, players, and and stuff they see that stuff too. You know, it's not just the fans. So yeah, you kind of wonder, but well, yeah, and Michigan Michigan fans, which honestly, this is to me. I mean, the 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 word fan is short for fanatical. So you should go nuts when your team does well. It, that's I've, I've always been, I've always kind of laughed. I, everyone can root for their team how they want. I've always kind of laughed though. Cause you know, working the, the phone calls, doing the message board when like the fans are like tempering themselves or like, Whoa, Whoa, I got to stay calm. We got one game at a time here. And I'm kind of like, you're not on the team. You can talk all the talk you want. Like Dude, I've said, I mean- that, I've said that for years. <laughs> like how, how, how do you like when they're, yeah, I know in football, like they play Michigan state in two weeks and they, are playing like Rutgers the week before and we might post something about the Michigan state game. And like right. the reaction on the board is like, well, you know, I got to focus on Rutgers. And it's like, well, we don't, I, I could write all the week. Heck you don't in two weeks. Who cares? That right. have any impact on how the game is turns out. And then, yeah, that's, we could go off on those tangents for a good eight minutes. It, right. Right. But anyway, I, I, I did notice, you know, the whole, I almost did a story on the, the mass replies to the opposing team's like final game score tweet whenever Michigan won. I mean, you get, you should like, have, that'd, been, some... that'd have been funny. That's for those, those, like a few of those kind of cracked me up actually, when I started to catch on to those and check those out. And like when they beat laugh. Wisconsin, it was like 1200 replies. And so I can see where, you know, the opposing fans are like, screw these guys. Like, so anyway, what did um, one, I don't remember who they beat not too long at. They didn't, they stopped posting updates like with like six or seven yes. minutes left to go because they, and, and didn't their final score include a, a like they turned replies off? Something like yeah, no. So it was like it was like uh, six hundred quote tweets, yeah, or something instead. So no, that's 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 all just all in fun. That's kind of that's my thing. Is I, I don't know if you're if you're taking it too serious or if you're taking it too personally. You know, if you get offended by by fan smack talk, I that's fine, but there's going to be fan smack talk and I, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon as you know, social media, it's only growing. <laughs> so it's um, I can see where Mich- I mean, part of it is just like Michigan's history and, and, and Michigan fans do have a lot of passion. I mean, that's uh, you know, that's why our, our branch of the 24 seven network um, has, you know, s- such an active message board, uh, such an active social media page. And so um I don't know. I I've always really appreciated it that Michigan, it isn't like just when Michigan is good and it isn't just for football or just, you know, the good sport. I mean, it's like, you know, I think 
in about a month, Michigan fans are going to be smack talking on social media about baseball you know, and softball. And so it's, it's kind of cool as, as a reporter to see it. Uh, I, but I can definitely see where like opposing players and opposing fans take issue with it. Plus Michigan definitely talks smack. I, I, you know, this is the whole irony. We, we talked about this a couple of years ago with the do more, say less. Uh, this is a smack talking basketball team. You know, they're not like, I mean, maybe it doesn't come through on TV, but like, you know, Franz, Franz talks and talk. I mean, Hunter Dickinson, you know, kind of has that, that evil villain. I mean, Eli Brooks and Isaiah Livers, as as nice as they seem in press conferences, I mean, you know, they're really competitive. And so, and they're good. I mean, again, you know, opposing teams aren't mad about, aren't mad at the team that they're beating by 25. You know, they're kind of more mad at the team that's beating them by 25. So, um, anyway, real quick on the big 10 tournament. Yeah. I I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't, I think there are things to be encouraged by. I think the comeback at the end, I think that there can be, there's, there's potential for that, like synergistic, um, I guess, build off of, of, of the adversity, you know, thinking about Isaiah livers, thinking about, um, you know, having a team or a senior leader on the bench. Cause when Franz went out with a foul and this is not a diss on Franz, but I think the team was like, started to play like they had nothing to lose. And how many times does a one seed play like that? Now they lost. And that's, we can talk about plenty of reasons to be discouraged. I think the shooting has really fallen off uh, both from two point range and three point range. I think Ohio state, not a particularly good defensive team really kept Michigan away from the rim until like the final five minutes. Uh, and so I think there's plenty of things to kind of look at and say, well, I don't know if this, I mean, it's, it's a, it's an interesting situation because they are a one seed. Their record is a one seed, but I think if you look at the last five or six games, they haven't really looked like a one seed. They've looked almost like a scrappy four seed or scrappy five seed. And so It'll be an interesting mental dynamic because there are definitely, well, I'm going to ask you about this in a moment. You know, Isaiah Livers' loss is definitely significant, but does it does it make some players play with a little bit of a fire under them? I thought Hunter Dickinson, you know, who's who's kind of, I don't want to say down. He's been he hasn't been what he was in January since January. I, I think he's he's kind of struggled to make his presence known, and he he had a good matchup uh, size wise, but you know, he really, he seemed like a man possessed at times against Ohio state. And, you know, what does Franz Wagner bring to his first NCAA tournament action, you know, but also potentially his last NCAA tournament action. We saw, we saw his brother really rose to the occasion in the postseason. So, um, you know, curious to see what he brings a lot of seniors. So anyway, Putting that aside, because we'll talk about how they stack up in their bracket in the second half of the show. The Isaiah Livers loss, uh, it's huge. Can't be overstated or exaggerated. But Steve, I guess your thoughts on sticking to the on-court stuff instead of, you know, instead of the broader leadership stuff. How big of a loss is this? I, I would argue this is the one position they actually had, you know, the the depth. At, but obviously his shooting, his scoring consistency. Um, how big of a loss is this in your mind in terms of their 
ceiling and and also maybe their floor what they what they look like in the NCAA tournament uh, I think not not that he maybe wasn't already Michigan's most important player even if livers with health was healthy but I think there's zero doubt now that uh, Franz Wagner not just I think his ability to get in the lane is going to be paramount if Michigan is going to make a run in the tournament uh, livers was Michigan's best three-point shooter Smith and Brooks I, you know driving the lane is not you know getting into the lane is not their strength at least off the dribble Brooks is good I think off, off ball with his cuts you know I think he can get in the lane get to the basket but it is not their strength I think they're going to need to get Wagner in the lane a little bit more because they're they're going to have to hit outside shots and it's going to be Smith and Brooks and Brown, maybe even Johns, uh, are guys that are going to have to hit enough from outside so that teams aren't just going to pack in their defense and try to slow Dickinson down, right? And I think the best way to do that is for Franz off the dribble, get in the lane, either throw up that patented kind of runner that he's mastered and score yep. some baskets or some drive and dish, you know, drive it and kick it out. Uh, type stuff to get some guys some more open shots than they're going to get otherwise. So I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Cause again, livers, I think was the one, not the one guy, but livers best, best three point shooter, but also a guy that could make it in a little bit of traffic too. Right. You know, not a guy that has to be wide open to hit a three pointer. So that's why I thought Mike Smith's performance against Maryland was really encouraging, you know, and, and he, didn't repeat it against Ohio State, but he did come on in the second half, though. He was really one of the catalysts that kind of made that, you know, helped him make that run later, at least kept him in position to make that late run. So, you know, that's why I think, yeah, I think Wagner and really maybe even a guy like Chandy off the bench who can hit threes. We've talked about him all year as a guy is is really kind of an on or off guy from the perimeter and um, was way off uh, against Ohio State until he hit that last shot that, uh, put it to within one. Right. So I think those, I, I, I don't know, I guess those are the two biggest things. Cause I, I think, yeah, I think you're going to see, it'll just be interesting to see how Michigan is defended because you wonder the, if the attention will be focused on Dickinson and will, and teams are going to force Michigan to shoot, to beat them. That's what I would do. Um, you know, I don't know. I haven't looked close enough at the bracket to know which teams can can maybe take Dickinson one-on-one, you know, but his ability to kick out as well. But I think probably not the first weekends, right? You know, so I think they, they could be, they could get to the sweet 16 on, on Dickinson with Dickinson's abilities. You know, I think he's capable, you know, we're not, we're just assuming they beat the 16 seed. Right. I mean, that's just, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. But at that point though, yeah, you talk about Florida state. I don't have to look, I know Florida state's got guys length, you know, I think I think Franz is going to be really important. Um, again, he already was, but I just think that thing, mm-hmm. that part alone, his ability in the lane, off the dribble. Teams are obviously keying on his right hand all day as they should because he does have a tendency to try to work it into driving to the to the right. But I think he's got to get in the lane, score a couple baskets, and maybe help open things up for. Uh, Brooks Smith Brown on the perimeter. Yeah, I I I agree. And and your perimeter point, 
that that's where I wonder. Brandon Johns can shoot from three. I mean, he can, but I don't think he's going to, I think he feels like the stylistic difference between him and Isaiah livers is he's a little bit more physical. I think he's arguably stronger, maybe not as quick. He, he is almost more of a post player and he has been practicing at the five all season. And I mean, his stat line against Ohio state, uh, seven points, eight rebounds, but no made shots. I mean, that's, that's a stat line of like a, a backup center really. And so, yeah, when he's, when he and Dickinson or he and Davis are in the game, it, it almost seems like a too big lineup. And so I, that's where I wonder, you know, he's, he's got to take that shot. He's got to take the shot though, at some point, because it's, I think even just, you know, Oh yes. And right. He but, will. but he, he will. But, yeah. but he, but I thought he had a couple chances against Ohio state to, at least take the shot, and he didn't. Did he? He didn't attempt a three, did he? Uh, I think he attempted one. Did he? Okay, maybe I missed. Yeah, it. and so far, so far this season, um, he is well six for fourteen. So that's actually not a lot yes. of attempts. And the in the past, he's attempted more. Um, so we'll we'll have to see. I don't know if some of that is, you know, he he did look like someone who was playing. If I can be blunt, he looked like someone who was playing, kind of looking over his shoulder all season, in terms of he didn't want to get pulled for making a, a risky mistake. And that's, that's, that's tough to play through. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think you could argue it happens in little league and high school as well. Um, so it's, it's a different, it's a different kind of situation now where, where he's expected to be the starter, but for that, that reason you said, I think, I think there's actually a lot of benefit. I get why Shondi Brown wants to come in off the bench. I think there is some benefit to him playing more minutes than John's though. And, and maybe have Franz play like a, like a Duncan Robinson style four where he will play defense, but especially against some of these teams that don't have a, um, you know, 230 pounder at the four, you know, spread, spread the ball out a little bit and make, make them defend somebody other than Dickinson. Because yeah, I think uh, St. Bonaventure, they've got a six ten guy who's pretty good at blocking shots. LSU, I know they're not a great defensive team, but I mean, they do recruit at a pretty high level. Um, they've probably got a couple good athlete, big men who can, who can at least serviceably hold their own. And so, yeah, I think spreading the court out is really, really important. I think the defense, even though Isaiah Livers wasn't known for his defense, I think that's where it became a little bit more of an issue for Ohio or against Ohio state. Yeah, I think Ohio State was able to uh, get to the post more. I think they were able to create mismatches more often because Livers, I mean, there's a lot of guys who can quote unquote defend three different positions. He legitimately could could defend three different positions right. at a at a truly good level. And I think I, I Eli Brooks, great defender. He can't defend a guy six six. Yeah, Washington's a tough 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 matchup for yep. him. Yep, yep, and Wagner. Wagner can defend three positions as well, but, but you can see where Ohio state's kind of enjoying that scouting report a little bit more, but they're like, Oh, well, livers can't just switch on anybody. You know, if we get a certain guy on John's it's, it's over. If we get a certain guy on Brooks, it's over and, or, or Shondi Brown. Uh, I think he can really defend two positions. Well. And then I think, you know, the point guard and the, and the big, big forward types might have a little bit of a mismatch on him. So well, who was it? Was it suing 
that had a really yeah. good game, right? He was a non he was a non factor the first time the two teams played, mm-hmm. and that would have been the guy that Livers almost assuredly would have been matched up with. Well, he only had nine points, but but it was it felt like a lot. I he had five free throw attempts. He only made one of them. So if he makes a couple more, then suddenly he's another double digit scorer. So and CJ Walker seven points off the bench. Um, he actually had a had a decent game. So yeah, it just seemed like you know because I think Fr- Franz fouled out. It seemed like he was put in a couple like defending the post situations that he wasn't comfortable with. Um, you know, I, I, John's had three fouls. That's probably roughly what you can expect for, for how physical he is as a player. But I, I think offense versus defense, I think you go either way. I think, uh, it's just livers versatility, both offensively going inside and outside. And then, and then, uh, defensively being able to really defend a multitude of, of types of players. It's going to be tough. It's going to be more than just the leadership, more than just it's a senior who has played a national title game, you know, who started in a national title game. Uh, it's going to be be a pretty big deal. I, I Just to make sure we cover our bases or, or talk about the topics that fans want us to talk about. He has not closed the door on returning. Alex Wong, Michigan's trainer, has also not closed the door on him returning. But it is a long way to go. Uh, Wong was on the Inside Michigan Basketball radio show, and he said the first step is making sure he can walk pain-free. And if if that hasn't happened, you know, a lot can change. And I think um, Tim McCormick pointed out there is a 14-day window between Michigan's uh, when the Big Ten or when Livers was out and when the Sweet 16 would start for them. A lot can happen in that time. But I, 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 I'm operating under the expectation that he will not return. I think if him, him returning would be a surprise and maybe like a bonus. Michigan has to operate under the impression that, that this is what they've got. Um, so I, I know people would ask like our thoughts on that. So I just wanted to point that out. I, I did write a story. He wants to come back. Um, you know, but, but I think it, it, Alex Wan pointed out it's walking then it's jogging, then it's running, then it's shooting and jumping, and then it's planting your feet and, you know, kind of the change of direction stuff. So it's it's on the outer part of his foot in the toe, kind of ball of your foot area. Um, so that's, I think the change of direction might make it really tough um, without being a doctor. But yeah, just wanted to get that out there because I know people would ask. I know it's something fans are excited about. I would keep your expectations low doesn't have to be zero, but like if you're filling out a bracket, don't say, oh, yeah, he'll be back for the Sweet 16 just yet. Uh, anything to add on Liver's absence? No, I mean, I think we covered it all. I think cool. yeah, defensively, yeah, but also, yeah, been their most consistent three-point shooter, too. I think it's, it's. I mean, you know. Well, and he, he takes the shots. I mean, he's a high-volume shooter, too, because right. Mike Smith has a great percentage. Uh, yeah, I think Shondi Brown and Franz Wagner actually – that, that might be something I've pointed out on Twitter. I mean, they they were not lifetime very great shooters, and they have all shot really, really well this year. It did not show against Ohio State, but on the season, I think they're all above 38%, which is really phenomenal. Um, so if they can do that in the tournament, then, yeah, this team is 
is in for a run. Speaking of that, on the other side of this quick break, we will talk about the bracket, the seating, what it means, uh, maybe maybe a brief preview of the matchups. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back. Thanks for waiting. Steve, real quick, uh, significance of a one seed for Michigan. It's just the third time ever. Now, granted, they didn't start the seeding until 1985. Um, but the 1986 team, 1993, 2021, that's it. Uh, what is the significance in your eyes of them being the one seed? Because there was talk about them possibly switching with Alabama. I know the selection committee even said they, they with livers, injury, and, and Michigan's um, – I guess two and five finished to the season. They did take a peek at maybe making a switch there, uh, but but they ended up picking them one one seed. What are what are what are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't know. Do you think it helps on the recruiting trail? I mean, as a recruiting guy, maybe I should know that. I, I guess it's obviously not going to hurt. Really, just comes down to who you think's better between the three and the four seed in your region. I, mm-hmm. Like that's really the you know. Cause it's very conceivable. They could have been the two and maybe the matchup would have been better with whoever the three is. Um, although I, I don't know what history says, maybe I'm wrong. I feel like you do maybe like that eight, nine matchup, regardless of who it is better than that, that potential seven, 10. A lot of times 10 is like a team, both seven or 10 could be like a, a hot team. Like I think UConn right now, mm-hmm. um, I think Michigan would rather be playing the winner of the eight, nine than, potentially matching up with UConn in the second yes. round. Right. Yes. So that's really where it, what it boils down to for me, but that's like really what the whole tournament is about is, is looking at who's in front of you and see what the matchups are. Cause there are teams you know, like Illinois toughest game in their bracket might be the second round um, based on the metrics. Right. I mean, against little, Loyola. Well, I think their top was it the Torvik site. Has him um, as a top ten, and I think I don't know Ken Palm not much Ken further. Palm, Ken Palm has probably not the, not the toughest because that is a tough region because they do have Oklahoma State, and they do have uh, Houston. Another, yeah, I think they did get Houston with the two seed. So, but I, 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 okay, exaggerated a little bit, but you know, um, it's all about matchups. So to me, really, yeah, the only significance was, you know, looking at. You know, would you rather play Florida State or would you rather play Texas? Or is that eight and nine matchup a problem? You know, that's mm-hmm. really the, what it comes down to for me. And we debated a little bit before we got on about 
Michigan's bracket a little bit. I think we're pretty much on the same page, but um, you know, a lot of people seem to like Florida state. You don't agree. Uh, you seem to like Texas a little bit more. And, and then um, in terms of lot, who's better between the two. Yeah. Well, or who's going to give, who would potentially give Michigan a worse matchup. But the other thing is, I, I think you're going to see quickly. I think, I think most people are going to pick Michigan as the, like the first one seed to lose. You Seems. have to, don't you? Uh, is there an Baylor, argument for Baylor, that? Be- Baylor hasn't played much better than, hasn't their defensive numbers have fallen off a cliff since they came back from the COVID yeah. scare. Um, but yeah, I mean, no, cause of course Gonzaga, I think, I think Gonzaga, Illinois, despite Illinois, like Gonzaga's bracket, uh, they got by far the easiest road on paper. Mathematically, they should if they're sticking to the traditional seating. Sure feels like they sure feel. Yeah, but I mean, it 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 doesn't look like they have the road that because I think we agree. We both agree that Illinois probably has the toughest road to get there, right? Just just off of first glance. Yeah, yeah, first impression. I you know, agree. And then Michigan probably second. Baylor's probably third, but Gonzaga's road. I mean, they've already beat they already beat Iowa by double digits earlier this season, didn't they? I mean, that's, well, that's not their fault. I mean, who else were you gonna put? <laughs> right. No, but either way, though. Um, so but yeah, my sorry, first... sorry for beating everybody. <laughs> right. Well, but Houston, Alabama, I think would you think them... you think they're better than than Iowa? So I watched some of the Alabama LSU game, and I think people's initial response is, "Oh crap, Michigan might have to play LSU." in the second round it I don't know and that's the other thing too you kind of learn in the tournament is like you know how real are the strengths of some of these conferences you know that's the other thing it's like it's hard to watch because to me the big 12 looks like a a conference that there are four or five teams in the big 12 that could make the final four I feel like Mm -hmm. I I agree and history also agrees they've been really good recently Oklahoma State's coming on at the right time I think West Virginia is still a dangerous team like they're not a team I'd want to play even though they They've kind of sputtered, but really their losses have been to Oklahoma State and Baylor. Uh, yeah, Baylor, Kansas is always kind of hanging around. You know, they're quietly a three seed, which is – and you haven't really heard anything about Kansas this year, uh, at least nationally. And here they yeah, are. Yeah, I'm curious with them I'm because you're right. They've won, I think, nine of ten. Uh, looks like it's eight of nine uh, with an overtime loss to, at Texas as their only loss since – February 6th. So Texas tech. Uh-huh. Right. Mac McClung. That's been a good, that was a good. Chris Beard is, has proven he can get to the title game. Absolutely. And honestly, well, we talked about Texas too, but I wouldn't sleep. I don't remember what one, who's the one seat, but uh, Oklahoma, I've watched Oklahoma play a few times this year. They, they're, they feel like a pretty good team. I wouldn't, I'm not going to pick any of them. I'm not picking them. They're an eight seed. And I, again, I can't remember who the one seat is. It might actually be Gonzaga. So Oklahoma lost five of six to close the season. And their only win was by five points over an Iowa State team that ranked outside the one top 150 in the net ranking. I'm picking them Elite Eight. So Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah, mark it down, mark it down. But no, I just I watched them a few times this year. They looked pretty good. They got a couple guys that can uh, I think I got a big guy that can go inside and outside that's pretty good. And then uh, one of their guards. But either way. Uh, I, I think the Big 12 is always, you know, right there with the ACC and the Big 10. You know, that's what mm-hmm. you always kind of learn, though. You know, what about the – like, then you got the Pac-12 
kind of hanging out there. A lot of the metrics seem to like USC and, and Mobley is a guy. That's kind of a guy I hope the Pistons, if unless the Pistons get the number one pick and take Cunningham, that'd be a guy I'd love to see in a Pistons uniform. I mean, he looks just different uh, as a post guy. So, um, but yeah, no, overall though, for Michigan, you know, Florida state, I, I think, I think, yeah, I'd, I'd rather be on their end of the bracket than the two seed. Right. But that just is because that's just the way the matchups seem to play, you know, like Alabama, UConn could be a really, really interesting second round matchup. Texas, you know, Shaka smart. They have really good, you know, he grew his hair out, um, <laughs> you know, and they, they kind of look like really good now. And so very experienced team. Yes. They're they explosive too. They got some guys that can throw it up. I mean, I've, yeah. they're another, I've actually randomly watched a lot of big 12 and Texas has been consistently impressive, impressive, um, but yeah, no, I mean, if, if liver, again, if we were talking about livers or whatever, if livers was fully healthy, I think I'd probably be picking Michigan to go, um, to the final four. I think so. If he yeah. was, if he was a hundred percent, I'd feel, I would feel if they got past, if they got out of the sweet 16, if they got to the elite eight, they would beat whoever came out of the bottom side of the bracket. That's my initial sense. But now it's, again, it's just a matter of who can step up. I think they're still there. I think definitely think they're still capable. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just my concern now is one off night shooting is going to sink them. And an off night shooting is going to sink a lot of teams, but now you don't have livers on the defensive end of the floor. You talked about earlier. I think it just puts more and more pressure on them to consistently shoot the ball well from the perimeter. And I don't know if they've shown, you know, that, that they can do that, um, you know, on a night to night basis without him in there. Yeah, my, I, I agree. And it, it, I almost, wish from a from an evaluation standpoint we could have seen them play a game without livers against a team that isn't a two seed because like they're not going to play a team at ohio state's caliber at least i don't think until i mean it would be like the sweet 16 or the elite eight um you know it was yeah so it's it's tricky because like they lost by one to Ohio state on paper. That is not a bad loss uh but it, it certainly there was a lot about that game that was kind of ha- has has me and and maybe many others second guessing what Michigan can accomplish this month. But when I look at this East region, it's it's really fascinating because um it's a lot of teams that finished really strong. Georgetown uh is, is kind of storming along as maybe the most dangerous 12 seed I can think of. Yukon, uh, Maryland quietly finished strong, Alabama, Texas won conference titles for the first time in well, for Texas, it was the first time ever. For Alabama, it was the first time since 1991. Uh, Florida State felt like, or actually, did they finish strong? I can't remember about them. Uh, Colorado. Oh, two and three to finish. Remember, we were talking about that before yes, the show. Yeah, so there may be the, the exception, but Colorado, um, strong finish. I, I mentioned before the show, LSU and St. Bonaventure, Bart Torvik, similar site to Ken Palm. He has a slightly different formula, but he allows you to customize the the. Um, and it's free, by the way. A uh, quick little plug. Uh, they allow you to customize the the time frame that you want to look at the their efficiency ratings. Since February fifth, I just did that date last five weeks. Uh, LSU and St. Bonaventure both playing at a top twenty level. Now it's really tough to evaluate stuff because there was so little non conference play this year, uh, but that's not nothing. And so yeah, a lot of teams playing some of their best basketball, but it's also a lot of teams 
that have not been in the situation before. Texas, I mean, Shaka Smart was on the hot seat entering this season. Alabama, when was that? I mean, have they ever been a one seed? If they have, it's been a very long time. Um, you know, uh, uh, Florida State's pretty experienced. They're maybe, again, the exception. Colorado, I don't think they're used to being where they are. You, know, you can run down the list. Georgetown, um, you know, they were they were not doing so well the past few seasons. Um, you know, so it's it's a lot of teams that I'm very curious. I mean, Michigan, I guess without Isaiah Livers, they they haven't been in the situation a ton, but I'm very curious to see how these teams perform because they are teams that are peaking at the right time. But how do they handle? I guess maybe the the, the pressures of the NCAA tournament. It might fe- might be different. Might be nothing uh, with with you know reduced capacity and everything, but. Um, I, a lot of, lot of kind of upstart teams. I made the joke the other day with, uh, Michigan, Colorado, Florida state, Texas, and Alabama. It's got a real, it's a lot of football schools, <laughs> a lot of, um, you know, especially in the, the eighties and nineties, a lot of BYU actually in there as well. Um, and that's where I almost wonder if someone like Michigan state, you know, can they, can, can, you know, just cause their coaches have done it before. A lot of their players have have been at least a part of the NCAA tournament before. Can they kind of embrace the the two-day turnarounds that, that are needed to climb through this bracket? That's that's where I get a little intrigued by this stuff. Uh, but let's look at let's look at Michigan's half of the East bracket. So I'm with you. One big perk to the one seed versus the two seed. I think you can more realistically write off your first game. I mean, obviously you have to show up and, and play and, you know, scout, but you know, way more two seeds get upset than one seeds. And, and I don't think that's coincidence. I mean, the 16 seeds are worse and Michigan uh, based on Ken Palm's ratings are, are playing the worst 16 seeds. So yeah, it's really LSU for St. Bonaventure. Steve, I'll let you go first. Cause I think we actually have different opinions on this. Which of these two teams should scare Michigan more? So I'm still going with LSU. I know the St. Bonaventure is kind of the hot name. Watch, and again, maybe I'm not going to sit here and say I've watched sure. <laughs> LSU a ton, right? But I did watch a healthy amount of the LSU-Alabama, the SEC championship game. Alabama has one of the best defenses in the country. Their defense is kind of what they've – built their name on this year. I want to say, I mean, they have good solid offense, but defensively they're, they've been uh, really, really strong. So I'm, I'm still going with LSU as being the bigger matchup. Who's the kid. There's the, who's the kid. That's um, my, my, one of my theories. Yeah. My theory is Cameron Thomas. Yes. Is based mostly on the Dwayne Washington theory, as far as like Michigan, just, and this is more like just, uh, how, how do you say it? Like a gut feeling and tangible, like just, it just seems like Michigan catches guys that just play out of their mind. You know, we talk about granted, they weren't going to be Illinois either way, but like Trent Frazier couldn't miss when Michigan played Illinois, Dwayne Washington's gone off against Michigan twice. I just teams guard play is always so pivotal in the tournament. And, you know, Thomas is a guy that's, just one of, again, he, now he is one of those guys also 
could pull like a Marcus Carr and go six for like 23, <laughs> right? Well, no, I mean, that's very possible, right? Well, but Carr's there's another guy though that's had huge games against Michigan in the past. No, not he hasn't had all of them have been great, but either way, uh, just Cameron Thomas feels like that a guy, the type of guy who just could go off and have a big game. And like that's when Michigan seems to struggle is when opposing like good guard play gives them fits. Now it gets everybody fits, but for Michigan specifically, it just, I don't know. They make me a little more nervous just because they've played a lot of, you know, uh, in a relatively decent conference. I'm not going just off of conference stuff, but like you mentioned before the show, St. Bonaventure played a couple of non-conference games total, right? Like played like two or three non-conference games all year. So Either way, I think both yeah, teams. Yeah, just two. Sorry. Right. Sorry. No, you're fine. I think both teams present like interesting matchups. You know, the 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 strict statistics of LSU's defense is terrible. And that's one thing I think maybe you could hang your hat on if you're Michigan that they should be able to score on LSU. But uh, I'm still going to go with LSU. I know St. Bonaventure is the hot name, but I, I think I'd rather play the Bonnies if possible. That's fair. I mean, St. Bonaventure, they. they have higher ratings. They have higher, um, I don't know the, the, the advanced statistics like them a little bit more, but they have only played two non-conference games. And I, I believe it was Hofstra and, um, and Akron, but, but I actually am going to go with the Bonnies as the tougher matchup for Michigan, uh, in part because of defense in part, because they are pretty darn good at, keeping teams away from the rim. Now this is the Atlantic 10, so we'll have to see, uh, but they, they do have a big man. Uh, they actually, their big men are actually bigger than LSU's. I don't know if LSU does that by design or what, but um, you know, they've got a, they got a big man. I I'll work on pronouncing his name, but uh, Osun, I think is his first name. Uh, six ten. you know, kind of, kind of lengthy, good at, good at blocking shots. One of the better shot blockers Michigan would face all season. So they, they, they don't have the scoring firepower LSU does, but man, it just seems like seems like they're able to keep teams uh, away from the rim, you know, keep teams away from, from the foul line a decent amount. And they ultimately just force a lot of contested shots and a lot of misses. They have competent guards as well, guys who can not, not going to compare to Illinois, not going to compare to Ohio State, but can kind of at least keep up with someone like Eli Brooks, keep up with someone like Mike Smith. So, uh, yeah, I think they might actually be the um, the worst matchup, but I, I am with you. I think there is something to be said. Uh, Thomas is a, is a five-star point guard, 6'4". By nature of being a five-star, I assume he has you know NBA-level athleticism. Haven't watched a ton of him. And they did just play Alabama well. Right. And so, and I, I, one thing I'm kind of looking at with this bracket, I kind of think the SEC is sneaky good this year. I think that they, they had a lot of teams that weren't ready. Uh, you know, just a lot of young teams or, or new, new ish coaches that, that weren't really ready in non-conference play. So their metrics look a little bit worse, but I, I think they quietly have a, have a pretty good set of teams in the NCAA tournament. So, um, I can see both sides. I mean, eight, nine game, right. It, it kind of, sh- it should be a toss up more or less. Um, but I kind of think St. Bonaventure might be the worst matchup. Anyway, 
we don't have to do full predictions. We'll see if we have uh, a time window for another another episode. Media availability is kind of limited this week, so I'm not really sure how much will change in terms of our opinions. But without Isaiah Livers in the NCAA tournament, I I'm gonna uh, the first games at Mackey Arena on Saturday. Second, the second game would be on Monday. Uh I guess your confidence level that Michigan advances, just knowing, knowing that they they are at least somewhat shorthanded, and then also maybe one key to the weekend. Michigan needs to do blank to make sure that they don't get upset early in the NCAA tournament. So I, I do think they get through to the Sweet 16. Um, biggest key for me, probably keeping Dickinson out of foul trouble. We talk about this. These these two games are games that he should have at least semi-favorable matchups in and should be able to get some some decent looks or at least at the very least create some great looks for his teammates. So I, I do think Michigan gets through, and I think that's going to be the key. Really interested. You know, I think if he if he picks up a foul in the first two minutes, I think he'll sit right away, right, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I'll be interested to see – if he makes it to like the 14, 13 minute mark, does Michigan just spell him right away just to give him some rest, even if he doesn't have a foul, or do they kind of ride him a little bit longer knowing, you know, there's only two day, two games in a four day set and then they, they could get a week's rest. You know, do they try to ride him a little bit more? You know, I know now game factors will play a role in that. You know, if Michigan gets out to a good lead, they'll probably try to rest him obviously. But um, if, if say the eight, nine game is close, you know, does Michigan, do they ride him uh, if he stays out of foul trouble? So I, I think that's really going to be the key outside of what we talked about already with, with Wagner getting in the lane. But I'm thinking mm-hmm. that I'm thinking more of their If, if Michigan makes a run, it'll be because Wagner was able can, can get in the lane and make plays. Um, but for this weekend, I think, I think Dickinson, you know, has a couple provides should have a couple decent matchups and, and should be able to do some damage and uh, open things up for everybody else. Yeah. I, I'm pretty confident Michigan will advance out of this weekend as you normally would for a one seed, maybe less confident than I probably was. I mean, well, duh, but maybe less confident until I, until I see Michigan play another game kind of without living. Cause I, I think doing it on a one night turnaround, I don't put a ton of stock into to what happened. I, I think I'm very curious to see, the X's and O's changes, the the schematic changes, and also the the personnel. I mean, Michigan will have had almost a week to kind of ruminate on um, on how to play without livers, and so again, probably probably means nothing against a 16 seed, but but you know they'll 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 show a little bit more in that eight nine game. So they're a one seed. The perk of being the one seed is you don't have to play a top. 25 team until the second weekend. Uh, so, so one would have to think, I mean, there, there are only three losses or four losses this year. Uh, well, one came against Minnesota, but the other ones came against teams that are, that are playing in the NCAA tournament as higher, you know, pretty decently high seeds, I guess States 11 seed. But my point is, I don't think that they're going to face anyone that can handle Hunter Dickinson one-on-one. And I also don't think, they're going to play anyone that 
we'll have Michigan as figured out as Ohio State did, as Michigan State did, as Minnesota did. All teams that Michigan played the second time in Illinois, uh, well, they're a one seed, you know, so, so that's the exception. So I'm pretty confident. I think the key, other than you, you pointed, made some good points about Dickinson, being on the court really helps. And I think also kind of continuing the momentum he found on Saturday, really the first time he's faced an, an opposing team for the second time and really still had that impact. So uh, I think that's obviously one key. And then I think Mike Smith, I think he emerges as kind of the, the third scorer and, and that role, I mean, he's used to that role. He scored a ton of points at Columbia. Correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, it felt like he took some shots that maybe he shouldn't have against Ohio state. A little bit of hero hero ball might be a stretch, but kind of where I was like, "Ah, I probably could have worked the clock down, probably could have passed it to somebody. And so I think that the big thing for him will be um, finding his, his sweet spot between being a pass first guy. Cause he, he can't just pass anymore. I mean, they do need someone to score Isaiah livers. What was it? 13.1 points per game. Uh, but maybe not, not trying to score at, at Michigan's detriment. So it'll be, some of that is dependent on shooting. Those shots look a lot like much wiser decisions if he makes them, but just felt like there were a couple like low percentage looks that he took uh, when he was, you know, there's a hand in his face. And so I think him finding a, a sweet spot because guard play does make a big difference. He showed against Maryland. He can be a really terrific player, but even in that Maryland game, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he shot four for 10 on two pointers. So knowing when to shoot, when to dump it to somebody else, that might be a, a, a quietly big key, especially, you know, in the, if, if they end up facing LSU, I mean, he's going to have his hands full with Cam Thomas or right. is it Cam Thomas? Yeah. So it's, um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Obviously we'll have tons of coverage from Michigan's first weekend. We'll see. I mean, odds are odds are decently high that they make it to the second weekend, but it is March madness. So you never know for Steve Lorenz. I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Be sure to read all of our stories. Be sure to listen to all of our podcasts. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo. And they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.